right, we are in our topic number seven, Roman Catholicism. Now, as we've been seeing with the facts so far on the first two exciting paragraphs, I was excited about it. That's right, we're cruising now. We saw that Roman Catholicism is a pseudo-Christian uh, uh, religion. It is not Christianity, pseudo meaning fake or false. We took a look at the facts of that. And last time we saw they are also defined secularly and biblically as a cult. They miss it on both things. Now, tonight what we're going to see, believe it or not, they're not only pseudo-fake Christian, they're not only a cult all the way around, but they are frankly demonic. Okay, And literally, I think even more descriptive is they are devilish Okay, in their behavior. And I didn't say that Jesus did, but let's take a look at that. In fact, we are in, that's right, uh, the next, uh, uh, the f- fourth paragraph down says this. Remember that all false philosophies, religions, psychological, and Ruth, act, all right, act, uh, uh, are, here it is, here's your first blank, Satan's, is your blank there, Satan's creation. All false philosophies, how many? All false philosophies, religious, psychological, whatever it is, if it's a lie, it comes from who? comes from Satan. Now, again, that's unfortunately, or fortunately, that's as far as we're getting in our workbook, because that's the premise. Wait a second. So uh, is Roman Catholicism something that's really satanic? I mean, is that a fair statement? Because it's false, and and, and, where's all this come from? Is this just somebody's uh, terminology? No, this is from Jesus. Open your Bibles to John chapter 8. Jesus is the one who lays this down, and it's his words, not mine, okay, uh, who says that anything that's false comes from Satan, which would make it satanic, would make it demonic, it would make it devilish, okay? And what we're going to see is not only where do lies come from, but we're also going to see uh, another aspect of Satan, okay? They come from him, but we're going to see his murderous behavior. And what we're going to see is also that murderous behavior that Jesus brings out in this chapter, okay, of those people, John chapter 8, of those people who hold on to a falsehood and refuse to listen to the truth. They act like their father, the devil, okay? And this is what we're going to see here, John chapter 8. And we're going to start with verse uh, 31. John chapter 8, verse 31, in the context, here's what uh, Jesus says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are what? You're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Jews, they, they, say, they answer and say, well, hey, listen, we're Abraham's descendants. We, we've never been slaves to anyone. How could you say that we shall be set free? Well, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And uh, he says the slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to what? Kill me. Did they want to receive Jesus? He's not just telling the truth. He is the truth, the embodiment of truth. He is the way, the truth, the light. He's right before them. They did not want to receive it. So what did they want to do? Kill him. Not just disagree like, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow, Bob. No, we want to kill you. And he calls him on the carpet in public because you have what? You have no room for my word. You won't receive it. I don't care what I say, what I do. You just won't receive it. Okay? I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from, listen, your father. Uh Uh-oh. Now what's he talking about? Abraham's our father, they answered. And Jesus said, hey, listen, if uh, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. And as it is, you were determined to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that i heard from god abraham didn't do such things you are doing the things your father does so a second time he's saying uh uh-uh. you don't belong to god the father 
because of your murderous behavior. You're holding on to a lie. You refuse to receive the truth. You want to kill me. I'm just trying to share the truth with you. You're, you're, you're acting like your real father. Well, who's the father? Well, let's keep going. He said, they said, well, first of all, we're not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. <clears throat> so Jesus said this. Here's the acid test. If God were your father, you would what? You would love me, including his truth. He is the truth. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. Now he tells him who the father is. The what? The devil. How many guys would say that those guys got a little bit upset? But it's the truth, right? You belong to your father, the devil. And where's this desire? Why do you want to kill him? Why do you want to get rid of the truth messenger? Because who's their father? The devil. And what's he want to do? You want to do, listen, what you carry out your father's desire. He was a what? That's where this murderous attitude's coming from. It's coming from Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And what? Where do all lies come from? What's the first line we just said tonight? All philosophies, all religions, everything that's a lie comes from who? Satan. We're getting this from the Bible from Jesus. Okay? It's not just some anti-Catholic thing. It's just anything, whether it's Catholicism, Mormonism, you name it, whatever. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, all the ones who are looked at. It's ultimately coming from Satan. He is the father of all lies, okay? He goes on. He says, yet, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason why you do not hear is you do not belong to God. Whoa. And then the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan, a demon-possessed? And that's the other thing. Not only they, It isn't just that they don't... Uh, they agree and that they disagree, but they literally uh, vehemently want to annihilate, literally kill the messenger. They are following a lie. Number one, that's satanic. That's where all lies come from. Number two, they want to get rid of the truth. They want to kill it. That's also satanic. That's what Satan does. And number three, they name call, and the irony, the sad irony is, they are so duped that they are believing a demonic lie that they tell the person who is telling them the truth out of love that they're the ones who are demonically deceived. They get the three aspects there, right? You're going to see every single one of these with Roman Catholicism. They're not just a fake pseudo-Christian cult, okay? And again, a cult, but they are demonic. They are devilish. This is the way they act. Those who disagree, they don't say, oh, well, they are out there to kill the messenger. And we're going to see that all throughout history. And believe it or not, if we can get that far, it's still in effect today. Now, what we're going to basically take a look at is the things that they did, the devilish things that they did. You and I don't have to give an answer for this because Christianity was not responsible for this. As we saw, number one, the Crusades, you don't have to give a response either for these things. And that was called the Inquisitions. Okay, the Inquisitions were an absolutely demonic, devilish attempt to literally kill, murder, get rid of the truth, the truth of biblical Christianity. Okay? And that's what we're going to see. Let's take a look. The Inquisitions, the Inquisitions or tribunals, were established by the Roman Catholic Church in order to try to seek out, sentence people that the Roman Catholic Church believed to be guilty of heresy. The purpose of the Inquisitions was to secure and maintain religious and doctrinal unity uh, according to the Roman Catholic Church and throughout the Holy Roman Empire and through the conversion uh, or persecution of alleged heretics. Basically, they will torture you until you basically recant the truth or you will die, right? Now, is that how we handle somebody today if they disagree with us? Please, everybody say no. 
Okay, thank you. Praise God, we're biblical. Okay, but that's not what they do. And again, I'm telling you, that's not gone away today. But we'll get to that hopefully in a little bit. With the marriage of church and state that arose in the 4th century, people of the Roman Catholic Church considered uh, to be heretics, uh, they also came to be considered as enemies of the state. Okay, and that's going to return again in the seven-year tribulation with the woman that rides the beast, the Antichrist, the government. Okay, they are going after anybody who is a believer in God, okay, the elect. They're going, you look at uh, the first half of the seven-year tribulation in the fifth seal, martyrdom. I mean, these people are being slaughtered like flies. You will become an enemy of the state during that time. It's all going to come back to what they lost at the Reformation, and I don't think we're that far off, believe it or not, okay? But you begin, it's not just you're a heretic. You literally become an enemy of the state. That means the government comes and hunts you down, and they don't just hunt you down and come and put you in jail. They hunt you down, and because you're a heretic, because you don't believe what they say that you need to believe, you will die. We will torture you until you recant, or you will die. Do you think that would ever happen? Folks, we're seeing that right now. What are the two things that even evangelical Christianity is being severely persecuted for around the world? Even here, telltale signs in the United States. Number one, the moral issue, homosexuality. You disagree with that, what? You're a heretic, you're a hate crime, we need to take you away, and right? right? Number two, it's our belief that Jesus is the only way. We didn't make that up, that's John 14, 6, right? But it's called exclusivism. What gives you a right to think that your religion is the only way? I didn't say it, Jesus did, right? But since I'm a follower of Jesus, what we just read in John 8, I love him, and a sign that I do love him is I believe what he says, because he's the truth, right? I can't recant that. But those are the two things that I believe are going to be the nail in the coffin, Okay, as things ramp up, that we need to do something about these so-called Christians, right? And they're, 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 they're terrorists, right? They're right-wing fundamentalists, okay? And things of that nature. But let me give you some examples. You think, man, with the Inquisitions, were they really that bad? Yeah, they were horrid. Okay, horrid. And I wanted to share with you just some. And again, every, what I'm about to read to you, as gross as it is, this is the mild stuff, Okay. Let me share with you some of the techniques they use. Okay, listen, what was the point? They are devilish. They are demonic. It isn't just that you can disagree and walk away. No, no, no. We will kill you. We will torture you until you either recant or you will torture you until you die. This really happened in history, multitude of times. Once they took control, this is why it's called the Dark Ages. Okay, but listen, the first one was called strapado. This is a torture technique they used in the Inquisitions. Strapado, that's a method of torture involving binding the victim's hands behind their back and then uh, suspending them by the wrist, so you're way up like this. Uh, sometimes a series of drops will be added, so basically, and then would force your arms uh, out of your sockets, as you can imagine that. That's being up there. At some point, your arms are just going to pop right out. Uh, and then the weights could be added to the victim's body, making it even more excruciating, Right? You want to do what your father, the devil, does. You want to kill me just because I'm telling you the truth. This is, they're not just pseudo-Christian. They're not just a cult. They're devilish in their behavior with those who disagree. The rack. The rack was one of the m most well-known methods of torture. The victim had their hands and feet bound to rollers at the opposite ends of a big frame. The torture would turn the rollers and the chains attached would dislocate the joints of the victims. Just pop them. Right if the torture continued, you didn't recant, they continued to turn the rollers uh, until the victim's arms and legs would literally be torn off. They didn't stop. You either recant or you're going to die. We're going to kill you because you don't believe what we believe. You're the one that's demonic, and we have to get rid of you. Same thing that happened. 
on John chapter Toka or waterboarding, <clears throat> still used today, involves securing the victim to an inclined board, binding them so they cannot move. Then the victim is gagged, has a cloth placed over their, his or her face. Water is poured over it. That gives the victim a feeling of drowning, even though, uh, even if no water enters the nose and the mouth. The CIA today uses this actually as part of their training, and on average, the person can only last 14 seconds before they are begging to be released. And they would just do with this with somebody who says, you know what, I don't think I really believe what you Catholics believe. And this, oh, uh, Mancurda, M-A-N-C-U-E-R-D-A, if you want to look at it. Don't necessarily recommend it. Uh, it's where the torturer grasps a tight cord and then it's tied around the victim. Then he throws his weight backwards and this causes the cord to cut through the flesh, the muscle, and into the bone. Just begins to shred him. Uh, this would be repeated many times in several areas of the victim's body. The head crusher was exactly that. I saw a picture of it. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, as the name suggests, it crushes the victim's head. The victim's chin is placed on this metal bar. There's a cap that's placed on top of the head right there. Then the torturer turns a screw, which causes the head to press down against the bar. This caused the teeth to shatter, right? To shatter, jaw bones to break, the eyes to pop out, and eventually led to a slow, excruciating death. Oh, by the way, let me say it again. I'm sharing the more mild ones. There's some that I'm just, it made me sick, as if these are not sickening. Water cure, this involved forcing the victim to uh, imbibe up to 30 pints of water, resulting in intense pain, often death. Just keep it going until it killed you. Recant? No, you're going to die. Wow. The Maiden of Nuremberg, also known as the Iron Maiden, uh, was a sarcophagus-looking thing that had blades inside. The victim was locked inside the coffin for hours while blades pierced the body in non-lethal areas, causing extreme pain. The Spanish tickler, this was gross. It's a metal, metal claw, uh, sometimes attached to a pole. I saw some pictures of a couple different forms of it. Basically, a just big old metal pole had these really big long, like three prongs was one of them I saw, but they were big. I mean, like, you know, but it was really point to a point. Right, just like this big, like giant bird claw, huge metal thing. Some had more than three, but whatever, just a claw. And basically, what they would do with that, the victim is bound naked by each limb. It was also bound so that they could not move. And the torture uses the sharp claws of the tickler. They would put it on the person and literally just like rake their body, just shred them, and shred them with this claw and break their bones. Usually, it started with the arms, right? Then they would move to the chest. Then they flip them over and do their back. They would get their neck and then flip them over and get their face, which almost always resulted in death. They would literally just rake them, if you can imagine, razor sharp and just being shredded. This would never come back, would it? No, it's coming back in the seven-year tribulation. And I wonder who's going to be a part of it. Let's move on. Now, when an inquisition was set up to investigate heresy, in a particular area of the Holy Roman Empire, isn't that an oxymoron, holy Holy Roman Empire, the Pope would appoint two inquisitors, each of which had equal authority. These inquisitors had the power to investigate and excommunicate even princes. They wielded enormous power and influence. Now, did you catch what that is? These guys had the power even to go up to princes, rulers of countries, right, and threaten them with this. This is why I said, listen, Rome got not just ecclesiastical control over spiritual things, they got control over the countries, the governments of the countries. They held sway over both. And again, that's what's ironic when you see in Revelation 17, that's what the woman of the rights the beast is doing. The Antichrist, the one world uh, government system, the religious system at the beginning until God 
destroys her, okay, at the beginning, she's the one writing. She's the one in control. She's back in control of the religion and the government all at the same time. And that's what the, the, the Catholic Church had. And that's what they're getting back. But they would be able to approach these people. And this is why, as I mentioned before, when the Reformation really began to take a place with Martin Luther and John Calvin, this is why secular princes would find these guys, hide them out in their castles, not because they were necessarily so convinced of biblical truth, but because they saw a way out of this stranglehold of the Catholic Church controlling their secular governments. Right? If people could realize that the Pope did not have authority, and they certainly had no authority to just round people up at random for anybody, including princes who disagreed with them, and it wasn't just truth heresy, it was whatever the Pope said to do. If you disobeyed, you're a heretic. And just the mentioning of being a heretic, you're pulled in, and which one are you going to get? This was the kind of society. Protestants, what did we protest against? It was the truth, but it was also this horrid behavior. What do you mean? Why is our country so founded on freedom? Because what did we come out of? This treatment, you disagreed? It wasn't you just disagreed and walked away. I'll see you tomorrow morning at the water cooler. We're going at it round two. You were tortured to death. This, this is what we protested against. This is what we founded our country on. And then the, the, the crazy thing is, then you get, with all due respect, you get the Pope coming over here and he's treated like a rock star. It's like, these people have never changed. So let's continue on. The inquisitors were known to subject uh, people to cruel, unusual punishment, you know, including torture, we just saw. Uh, they could imprison subjects that they thought were just lying. You lie, and uh, they have a reason uh, to take that to you. But let me give you just a little visual of a couple other techniques that they would use, uh, just again to whet your appetite, and, uh, and then we'll move on. Okay, but let's take a look at, I think about four more to go, starting with the uh, fork. How'd I get this fork on you? What? you? All you did, listen, all you did was... I'm not sure that I really believe what you believe. Oh, here you go. Try this on. The heretic's fork was an insidious device designed to induce long periods of sleep deprivation and often used as a punishment or as a means of gaining a confession. It was very simple, consisting of a double-ended fork which was placed between the chin and the breastbone. A leather binding was then used to secure it around the neck. Well, didn't want it falling off. Often the victim would be hung from the ceiling or positioned in such a way as to prevent the wearer from speaking or indeed sleeping. Inevitably, tiredness and fatigue would take over and the victim's head would eventually fall forward, forcing the forked prongs into his throat and chest, resulting in excruciating levels of pain. Combining both fatigue and severe pain, the heretic's fork became an invaluable tool during the war on witchcraft and became a favourite amongst witch hunters and interrogators alike. The knee splitter was yet another hideous device used during the Inquisition. As the name suggests, its sole purpose was to split the knee, although it was often used on other joints such as elbows, wrists and ankles. They ranged in size but usually consisted of two wooden blocks, each sporting a number of wooden or metal spikes, finally joined by two threaded bolts. It would be placed either side of the joint and slowly tightened like a clamp. This forced the spikes into the knee, shredding both bone and flesh. As a result, the joint was completely destroyed, leaving the victim in excruciating pain. This rendered the leg completely useless, and if you were lucky enough to survive the interrogation, developing an infection was almost a guarantee. Thus, the victim would often succumb to gangrene, and if the limb was not amputated, 
which in itself was a life-threatening procedure, then death was almost a certainty. The witch's chair, or chair of torture, was yet another diabolical device conjured up in order to gain a confession. They could vary in design, but were normally a simple hard wooden chair, similar in construction to the ducking stool, although were covered in metal spikes, which the victim would be forced onto, bound and left to suffer. Although the spikes punctured the flesh, they were carefully positioned to miss vital organs, and because the victim was secured and unable to move, they also served to plug wounds, stemming the flow of blood. In some variations, hot coals could be placed beneath the seat in order to burn the victim. However, regardless of the design, a timely death was never a condition of this hideous device. Thus, its unfortunate occupant could survive for anything from a few hours to several days. There was yet another side to the witch's chair. Interrogators quickly realized the psychological power they could wield by simply threatening a subject, or, in more extreme cases, by forcing an individual to watch the torture of another, often a neighbor, a friend, or even a member of one's own family. Therefore, a confession was often gained simply by threatening the victim with its use. Here we have yet another insidious device whose sole purpose was to inflict tremendous amounts of pain and dreadful injuries, predominantly on women. Similar to the Judas Cradle, the Spanish donkey was basically a triangular piece of wood or metal with a point facing upwards. In many instances, an increasing amount of weight was placed on the victim's leg and feet, thus increasing the amount of pressure placed on the genitals by the point. As a result, many victims had hip joints ripped apart, and some even ruptured under the pressure. Regardless, an encounter with a Spanish donkey had only one guaranteed outcome, an insidiously painful death. And what did Jesus say? Why do you want to kill me? I'm just trying to tell you the truth. You want to kill me because you're doing what your father desires. And your father is not God the Father. It's the devil. You're acting just like him. Not just a pseudo-Christian cult, but it's demonic. You know, we, we make a big deal, rightly so, by the way, as we saw in Islam, about the jihadists, right? How long have these guys been doing it? Long before they even showed up on the scene. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. But they never get called on the carpet for it. Because a lot of people have been duped thinking that Roman Catholicism is the same thing as biblical Christianity. It's not. And the church is chumming up to it again. I don't know about you, but I don't want to chum up to those folks. Now, I'll witness to you, and I hope it doesn't come back down to that in our lifetime, but uh, I'm not going to budge on the truth, and I hope you don't, you know, enforce that, but it's not good. This is what they do, folks. Okay, let's continue on. He said, but these, uh, these uh, inquisitors, uh, obviously cruel punishment. In 1252, Pope Innocent, Innocent, uh, the fourth, officially sanctioned torture as a way of extracting truth from subjects. During the Spanish Inquisition alone, this means 2,000 people were burned at the stake. The Spanish Inquisition, of course, was set up by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain in 1478. Who, does that sound familiar? Columbus, right? 1492, later. And, uh, but, anyway, but also with the approval of Pope uh, Sixtus IV. It focused mainly on the Jews, so now they don't want to get rid of Christians, but the Jewish people. Okay, uh, who were suspected of having continued to practice Judaism when you're supposed to be a Catholic. 
Okay? Later on, with the spread of Protestantism into Spain, the Inquisition would also begin to persecute Protestants who broke away from the Catholic Church. The uh, Inquisition essentially became more like a secret police, a Gestapo. Okay? That secret police is still in effect today. You know what the name of the secret police is for the Catholic? Called the Jesuits. They're the army of the Pope. We'll get to that in just a second. Oh, by the way, Pope Francis is the Jesuit, the first one ever. It's like a double whopper. All right? But anyway, so let's continue on. And so that's what the secret police that would investigate and retaliate against internal threats. One historian estimated that over the course of the Spanish Inquisition alone, they tried a total of 341,021 people, at whom at least 10%, 31,912 were executed. Okay? So one question I have is, well, how in the world did the gospel survive during all this? Because basically at the birth of the Catholic Church, all the way up to the Reformation, 1500s, okay, when they started to break away, shortly after that, the Puritans and Pilgrims came to the United States, and we have what we have today. Okay? But in the span of all history, it's kind of a short blip. That's why they call us the Protestant experiment, right? and they want it back, and they're making inroads, unfortunately, to the church, and they're gathering us back. We're being duped, okay? but they have never changed. Okay, but, but, but how in the world, with this kind of thing, this devilish behavior, you disagree, we're going to hunt you down and kill you. By the state, you become an enemy of the state, the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, well, let me give you, a, just trace the trail, don't have too much time, of how it was preserved on up into the Protestants in England that eventually came here to what we have today that I think sometimes we take granted for. Okay? Throughout the centuries, God's preserved his word. He's raised up men and women, even during the Middle Ages, often called the Dark Ages. You understand why they're called the Dark Ages? Yeah, okay. Uh, The truth of the gospel was still available. The Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, were at the height of their power, and the common language of the Bible was suppressed, right? The language began to change into English. They deliberately kept in Latin, so even if you can come across a copy of it, then you can't even read it because nobody speaks or reads Latin, right? That's why a lot of the reformers were killed because they took the Latin version of the Bible, the Vulgate, and they translated to English and they were subjected to this inquisitions and killed and murdered and all kinds of horrible stuff, right? But let's continue on. Uh, God's word was still active. God's hand is never shortened that it cannot save. Isaiah 59, his truth was marching on. The church had already survived much persecution of the Roman emperors during the, we saw last week with the persecution of the emperor Diocletian. That was the worst of it. But for the first couple hundred years of the church's inception, it was heavy due to persecution. That persecution also had a way of keeping the church pure, because your life was on the line. There was no phony Christian stuff. There was no easy believism, easy Christianity. You mentioned you're a Christian, you could probably die. But what that did is it kept the church pure, right? And powerful, amazing things took place. Because when a church is pure and not full of falsehood and baloney and fake believers, whoo, the Spirit of God moves, right? Great stuff, right? Anyway, so, but the church continued on. So they were used to the church. We were used to from the inception, right? Acts chapter 2, when persecution broke out, not that long later, it's been that way. But... The Rome began to consolidate its power. Remember we saw last week under Constantine, right? And Constantine, what he did, he basically started merging paganism with the church. And then right shortly after that, that's when you had the birth of the first pope. And the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, led all the way up, created the Dark Ages, on up to uh, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, okay? Now, but during that time, even when it was starting to take off uh, from Constantine, there were people, Christians, who spoke up. Right? As you look throughout uh, church history, uh, some of the folks, uh, just to call out some names, uh, you would have uh, uh, Bishops Alexander, Athanasius, 
uh, things of that nature. Uh, even back then, the Bible, they began to translate and began to spread it throughout Europe. Uh, even during the Middle Ages, uh, they, the, uh, they still tried to work in smaller groups. But again, these smaller groups, the Catholic Church literally hunted them down like animals and slaughtered them by the tens of thousands. Christians are just because we believe in the gospel. Right? Now, uh, during this time in the Middle Ages, this is when you see uh, that the, the Middle Ages is dark. That was uh, dark because it was dominated by the Holy Roman Empire, by the Catholic Church. Okay, but this is also during the time that you not only have the Inquisitions going on, the devilish behavior that if you disagree, I'm going to torture you and kill you. Okay, John chapter 8, Jesus saying. But this is also when you have what was going on called the Crusades, right? Again, Christian, if somebody comes up to you, oh, you Christians, I tell you what, you guys are just as bad as those Islamic terrorists. I can't believe you guys killed so many people in the Crusades. No, we didn't. The Roman Catholic Church did. And I'll be the first one to agree with you. It was horrific. It's non-Christian, non-godly, and certainly nothing that Jesus would do. Right? You and I should never have to defend and shouldn't defend or even try defending something that we're not responsible for. Number two, they often bring up the Inquisitions. Oh, you, oh, you guys tortured too. You think those Islamic terrorists are bad? You did it. No, I didn't. No, we didn't. The Roman Catholic Church said, not us. I don't have to defend something. That, oh, 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 by the way, who did they oftentimes kill, not only in the Inquisitions, but also in, even in the Crusades? Christians and Jews. So don't fall for that trap. This is the behavior of the so-called Holy Roman Empire. In the 11th and 12th centuries, you had a group called the Petra Brugians, and they rejected infant baptism, right? They became known as the Anabaptists. Uh, they re-baptized believers who had been baptized as infants, maintaining that baptism is only valid if it was a conscious act of faith by the adult believer. That's what we believe. Right? The Anabaptists survived intense persecution being hunted down. Okay? And from the Anabaptists, we have the English Baptists, which became prominent in the mid-1600s and here in the United States. That's our heritage. Our heritage of what? Escaping being murdered from Catholicism. You understand? What was the phrase I said? I think the church is guilty of the old axiom. Those who do not learn their history are doomed to repeat it. This is our history. This, we didn't just protest against falsehood. We protested against this torturous, murderous behavior just because you disagreed. And yet, everybody wants to chum up. Can't we all get along? It's all the same, right? And they believe the same thing we believe. No. Uh, a group called the Waldensians was in uh, 1100s uh, in lines in France by Peter Waldo. He, Waldo, he valued the necessity for all Christians to preach the gospel. You know, Matthew 28, Great Commission, right? Well, in 1184, a papal bull was issued against them to hunt them down and kill them. Right? Just because they said, we need to share the gospel. Right? Other reformed groups that existed before the Protestant Reformation, Reformation, this is the thing, how did it survive? I mean, with all this murderous behavior, they literally would hunt you down, torture you, and kill you. How did the truth survive? Right? Well, another group, uh, other groups were the Novatians, the Albigenses, the Petrobrusians, again, the Polycans, the Cathari, the Patinis, the Lollards. Long before Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg in Germany in 1517, there were men and women who stood up, Christians, for true reform and the true gospel. That's what we saw before with the account of uh, John Wycliffe, uh, John Huss. During the 16th century, that's when you begin to see the Reformation. But notice all the things that were going on long before that leading to that point, right? And what we rejected against, not just truth, 
but this behavior, this murderous behavior. Uh, you have Jacob Hutter, who founded the Hutterites, John Knox of Scotland, William Tyndale. He was murdered by the Catholic Church simply for translating the New Testament into English so anybody could read the Bible. He was killed for it, murdered. John Calvin of France, Ulrich Zwingli of Switzerland, and English reformers Cranmer and uh, 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 Latimer and Ridley all burned at the stake just because they disagree. Oh, and they were burned at the stake by a lady named Bloody Mary, right? Before she showed up on the scene and took power, right? It was a Protestant uh, England in that area. She took power and says, no, we're going back to Catholics, and if you disagreed, that's what she did, what Catholics do. Unfortunately, the official Roman Catholic doctrine, what do you do with heretics? You kill them. And that's what she began to institute. That's where we get Bloody Mary from, right? And she murdered tons and tons of her brothers and sisters in Christ. And these reformer leaders who translated the Bible so that anybody could read it, not just the elite, right? And, and that's where we get that terminology. God has remained faithful in every age, Okay, those faithful Christians were used of God to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. But let me give you a little bit more example during that time frame, what the Catholic Church was up to with this next video. For centuries, to disobey the popes was heresy punishable by death. J.H. Ignaz von Dollinger, a leading 19th century Catholic professor of church history, confessed, quote, Since 1183... The view of the church had been that every departure from the teaching of the church must be punished with death, and the most cruel of deaths by fire." Unquote. For 1,000 years before the Reformation, there were Christians who refused to give allegiance to Rome and who were slaughtered by the millions. Everyone knows of the Crusades to retake the Holy Land, but few know that even larger and more numerous crusades were fought in an attempt to exterminate Christians all over Europe who, out of conscience to God and obedience to the Bible, would not submit to the authority of the popes or embrace Rome's heresies. Of these martyrs, historian Will Durant wrote, quote, the Roman church, they were sure, was the whore of Babylon, unquote. The popes promised instantaneous entrance into heaven for those who gave their lives slaughtering the heretics. It took about a century to exterminate the Albigensian Christians, who at one time were the majority of the population of southern France. Among the cities wiped out by Pope Innocent III was Béziers, France. 60,000 massacred there, including women and children. In the infamous St. Bartholomew's Massacre in August 1572, 70,000 Huguenots were killed. Another 200,000 were slaughtered over a period of months, causing 500,000 to flee to Protestant countries for refuge. The Valdenses were all but exterminated, as were the Hussites. Here is an excerpt from Pope Martin V's letter to the King of Poland in 1429, 100 years before the Reformation. Know that the interests of the Holy See and those of your crown, make it a duty to exterminate the Hussites. Remember that these impious persons dare proclaim principles of equality, that all Christians are brethren, that Christ came on earth to abolish slavery. They call the people to liberty. 
while there is still time then turn your forces against bohemia burn massacre make deserts everywhere for nothing could be more agreeable to god or more useful to the cause of kings than the extermination of the hussites we haven't time to mention the horror of the tortures and murders of the inquisitions that terrorized europe for centuries there is no city on earth that has shed more blood both of Christians and Jews, than Rome. Pagan Rome threw Christians to the lions and killed them in periodic persecutions during the first three centuries. That was nothing, however, compared to the slaughter of both Christians and Jews by Catholic Rome. Historian Will Durant writes, candidly, quote, compared with the persecution of alleged heresy in Europe by the Roman Catholic Church, the persecution of Christians in the first three centuries after Christ by pagan Rome was a mild and humane procedure, unquote. Yes, this woman is indeed drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus, and no other city comes even close to Rome in this regard. Notice what he said, that the Pope, the Pope guaranteed entrance into heaven if you what? You went after the heretics and killed them. Ring a bell? What does that sound like? Islam. So this has been going on a lot longer before Muhammad appeared on the scene. So in essence, is it not a fair statement, although it may not be politically correct, who is the original and still today the ongoing jihadist? Catholics. Roman Catholicism, Right? That's just going with the fact. Now, let's break down the uh, inquisitions there. Uh, technically, what this says real quick in history, they say that there's uh, traditionally four, but I believe what we're going to see is five, and five is still in place today. That's the bombshell at the end. The Portuguese uh, Inquisition was established in, in Portugal, okay, uh, was uh, the, uh, in 1536, okay. Uh, they, they uh, let me speak, yeah, in 1536, okay, and it operated... Okay, uh, much like the famous Spanish Inquisition in 1560. Okay, and it was set up to deal with uh, converts in Hinduism before they were uh, suspected of continuing practicing some of their Hindu beliefs. So you had the earlier ones there, uh, uh, the Spanish Inquisition. Then you got the Portuguese uh, Inquisition. And uh, now they, they say this, and that was just to go after the people who uh, were Hindus and they disagree. You're supposed to be Catholic, and so they went after them. Now, the last period, what they say is the period number four, okay, is uh, what they call the Roman Inquisition. Uh, it was established in 1542 when Pope Paul III established the whole, listen to this, the holy office is their term, and it's still used today. The holy office, okay, as the final court of appeals in all trials of heresy. This group was made up of cardinals and other officials whose task was to maintain and defend the doctrines of the Catholic Church. So that was basically the guys who headed all this stuff up. That's what they called them uh, and said that they uh, 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 were doing. They were part of this holy office. This group played an important role in the Counter-Reformation, and it was also this body that condemned Galileo for grave suspicion of heresy and banned all his works in 1633 for teaching that the sun was the center of the universe and that the earth revolved around the sun. Another thing that how many times do we get accused of? You Christians teach that the earth is flat or that you're the ones who are trying to hide back true science, right? And, and No, we weren't. Roman Catholicism was. 
right? But that was part of what they would consider uh, the last one, the Roman Inquisition during that time. And it was during that time that basically the headquarters for the Inquisition, they brought out this term called the Holy Office. Got that? Let's continue on though, okay? Now, he goes on and says this, in 1965, Pope Paul VI reorganized, in 1965, this was Vatican II, right? Vatican II, a lot of people say, well, that's the way the Catholic Church used to be, but today they've radically changed, and they're more like us. Lie. All they did was change the terminology, repackage themselves. It's still the same belief system. I'm telling you folks, Rome will never change. Rome has no intentions of changing. Rome is not even going to change its behavior. I'll get to that in just a second. But in 1965, Pope Paul VI reorganized the Holy uh, Office, and he changed it to this time, to this phrase, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, and listen to this, and it remains in effect today. So this power, this inquisition is still in effect. It's called the Holy Office, then they changed it to this Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith. Still in effect today. That's not my words. So technically, this power structure to implement this Inquisition-type torturous murderous behavior against heretics who disagree with the Catholic Church, it's still in effect today. Now, let me get to this Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. Uh, it was uh, uh, informally known by Catholics, again, as the Holy Office. When you hear them say Holy Office, that's what they're talking about. Okay? They also use the term uh, that it's part of the universal Inquisition. So even in their own terminology, they admit it's not ended. The Inquisition against Protestants continues up to this day. Its headquarters is at the Palace of the Holy Office just outside Vatican City. It, served as the, it serves as the final court of appeals in trials of heresy and serves as an important part of the Counter-Reformation. Right? So the Reformation, they lost grip of controlling the states and the countries. Right? They tried their best. But they escaped, and Parvin went to other countries, and it spread too fast. They, it got out of control in their minds, came over to America. Then it really, like, now what are you going to do, right? But now they're over here in America. Okay, now they're all over the world. They're pulling, Europe has gone dark again for a multitude of reasons, and they're coming back. But that was, this is part of their counter-reformation. They, they still have this inquisition against you and I uh, still to this day. Okay, let's continue on. The congregation's name uh, was again changed to the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, the Holy Office, in 1965. Now listen, in 1981, guess who headed up this Holy Office, this Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, whatever you want to call it. It's basically the ongoing inquisitions against the uh, Protestants. What's the inquisition? We will kill you. Just being blunt. It's an organization that we will kill you because you're deemed a heretic. In 1981, guess who took control of that? Joseph Ratzinger. Who's he? The previous pope. Oh, interesting. So he was in charge of this inquisition. Now, in 1988, Pope John Paul II reaffirms its authority. That, oh no, you have the authority to do this. Now, on November 11, 2014, guess who steps in? Pope Francis sets up within uh, them a, quote, special body to expedite uh, the appeals, the consideration of appeals. And in 2015, Francis established an ecclesiastical judicial commission which has its own staff. So it's like you're getting geared up for something. Let me use a term that's been popularized lately. What are you gearing up for? 
Are you gearing up for a last day's extreme vetting? Right? Are our minds being prepared for a world that says anybody who disagrees with this universal religious belief system, could that happen? The machinery's in place. Now, listen, listen to what this inquisition, ongoing inquisition, still in effect to this day, their words, not mine, blessed by the Vatican, expanding in the Vatican, waiting there in the Vatican. Listen to what they would consider a crime. This is on their words, okay? This includes investigations and, quote, grave derelicts, acts which the Catholic Church considers to be the most serious crimes. They're going to come and get you. Here's just a couple examples. If you say anything against the Eucharist, they're going to come get you. Their version of communion, which is, as we saw, blasphemy. Right? They're on the books, secular information, not me. Does that sound like anybody? You say anything against Muhammad, what's going to happen? You die. You say anything against the Quran, what's going to happen? You die. You, you, you convert somebody else. You lead them away from what they say is true. What happens? You die. On and on and on. Is any, how, who's the original jihadist here? Right? And why is it, and rightly so, is the Islamic jihadist being called to the carpet? How come nobody's talking about these guys? Have you ever wondered why? Remember, they want the state control back. They want to control the governments again. Why is it that every American president after election goes over and sees who? Who cares? With all due respect. What's that got to do with us? Why are you going over there? What's going on here? Who's in control here? Who's pulling the strings here? Who's really in charge here? Who's submitting to who here? What's going on? So if you disagree, these guys are still on the books going to come get you. Number two, if you say anything against the sanctity of the sacrament of penance. Remember we dealt with that in the first one? Basically, the works-based system that you need to do all these things, subset A, here on a certain day, and this and that, and kneel, and this and that, do all that, to work off your own punishment. You say anything against that, they're coming after you. And I'm going to point out the obvious. You will sit there, and you will take people to task. You will put them under this new, ongoing, your terms, not mine, universal inquisition against Protestant Christianity. If they disagree with your false teaching called the Eucharist, and that you can't work your way into heaven, and you can't work off your punishment, but you apparently don't do hardly anything about the pedophile priests in your own organization. Does anybody find that ironic? How in the world is that allowed to continue? Who's pulling the strings behind the scenes? How come that one hasn't been put to rest? Anybody Joe Schmo in public is guilty of that, you are going to jail lickety-split. How do these guys continue continue, continue to get away with it. Who's pulling the strings, right? The effects also came out, uh, again, after the, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, this is what these guys were continuing to do. But this is what this has led to, right? And uh, is led to these guys that are still in effect today. These guys began in 1540, I believe, the Jesuits. The Jesuits are also known as the papal elite troops, right? This is their army. Right? But it's the army of these guys who are responsible for people who disagree. Now, uh, I quickly read to you the last two paragraphs of the Jesuit Extreme Oath of Induction. 
And this is what they have to pledge to do when they become a Jesuit and they're of that order. Okay, But what I want to do is take a little bit more time as we close. And I want to read to you the first part that the superior says. Then the full oath, which includes the part that I read before. These are the guys. This is the army of the Vatican who is still supporting this inquisition. Against This is all in place today and still in force today. Right? Here's what the superior says in this ceremony, and I quote, Heretofore, you have been taught to act the dissembler and to be a spy. Among the reformers, to be a reformer. Among the Protestants, generally to be a Protestant, obtaining their confidence. Listen, to seek even to preach from their pulpits. Remember that video clip with Kenneth Copeland? Who do you have preached from his pulpit? Oh, but aren't we all the same? No, we're not. What's these guys pledged to do? We will lie to your face just to weasel in amongst your mitts, even be able to get behind the pulpit. Why? That you might be enabled to gather together all information for the benefit of your order as a faithful soldier of the Pope. Now, here's how they respond to the superior. This is their extreme oath, the Jesuit. I blank, put the name in, do by declare and swear that His Holiness the Pope is Christ's vice-regent and is the true and only head of the Catholic or universal church throughout the earth, that he has power to dispose heretical kings, uh-oh, so you're going back to what we escaped from, from the Reformation, that he has the power to dispose heretical kings, princes, states, commonwealths, and governments. He's talking on a global basis. So is, is this why people keep meeting with the Pope? Are, are you threatening people or something? Are we going back the way it used to be? What's going on here? Right? And government. And all being illegal without his sacred confirmation that they may, be safe, uh, may be safely be destroyed. So anybody that doesn't agree with them that they consider is illegal, they believe they have the authority. This is the army to do it secretly, like assassins. Okay, And we will come and we will take you out. This is what they believe the Pope has the authority to do on the planet. Therefore, to the utmost of my power, I shall and will defend this doctrine of the holiness is right and custom against all usurpers of the heretical or Protestant authority, whatever. Now, what I had stated before, I furthermore promise and declare that I will, when opportunity present, make and wage relentless war secretly or openly against all heretics, Protestants and liberals, as I am directed to, listen, to exterminate them from the face of the whole earth, and that I will spare neither age, sex, or condition, and that I will hang, waste, boil, flay, strip. They wouldn't do that, would they? What did we just see tonight? And we are fooling ourselves if you think they would never go back to this. Right? I will hang, waste, boil, flay, strangle, and bury alive those, these infamous heretics, rip up the stomachs and wombs of their women, crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate forever their execrable race. That when the same cannot be done openly, I will secretly use the poison cup, the strangulating cord, the steel of the poignard, or the leaden bullet, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the person or persons, whatever may be their condition in life, either public or private, as I at any time may be directed to do so by any agent of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Faith, the Society of Jesuits. And... We have a double whopper. We not only have Pope Francis, who's the Pope, 
But for the first time in their history, he's also one of these guys, a Jesuit, who has made this oath. That what I'm really here, Mr. Rockstar, is I will secretly or openly, even myself as the Pope, Jesuit. I have the authority to do what I want to do to any heretic anywhere on the planet, any government that we deem is illegal according to our belief system. Is that wild? Now, the wild thing is, believe it or not, I believe that the Bible talks about how this is going to come to fruition. Okay, and that's in the seven-year tribulation. And it all is around, as I keep, I keep peppering you the last couple of weeks, with this issue of Revelation 17 and this picture of this woman, Mystery Babylon, the harlot, who rides the beast, the Antichrist, for a time, takes ecclesiastical control, governmental control on the whole planet, and is a part of the seven-year tribulation. Could it be that Roman Catholicism is a part of that. I kind of think so, but we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. And then, finally, we're going to get into their whole belief system and why it's all messed up. And uh, again, as always, folks, this is a serious issue. This has never gone away. And I will quote, listen, the holy office, which is their version of the universal inquisition, right, is the court of appeals for heresy, was reorganized in 1965 renamed, quote, and it remains in effect today. So the irony is, it isn't just that the Catholic Church did this. It's still in effect today. Now you maybe start to feel why I keep saying the righteous indignation that hopefully is what is happening to me when I see this on the news. And now for the Christian perspective. And they who put up on the screen? A Roman Catholic. Excuse me. And people are falling for it right and left. And you still hear people in the church today, hey, listen, Catholics believe the same things we do. You know what the reformers would be doing if they hear statements from Protestant believers today? Rolling over in their graves. You've got, you guys are digging your own grave. After all we did, after all we sacrificed, what in the world are you guys doing? And when did you get so chicken-livered that you can't call a spade a spade? And you can't stand for the truth? This is the boldness that we need to get in these last days. We don't have to be antagonistic. We certainly don't do eye for an eye, two for two. But we need to be prepared. This is the level of deception that is coming to our planet. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. 
The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people 
uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.